yo, 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 K shed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We turn that down a little bit and then we go right into it. So, this past weekend, y'all, I had one of my best weekends in a long time. My uh, former team, the Las Vegas Raiders, flew me down, put me up in a hotel, and gave me premier tickets, you know, King's treatment at the game against the Packers. And I was rewarded with watching this team of ours just put together a premier effort and just put it to the Packers the way they should be doing. And hopefully they continue to do that all year. If they do, it's going to be very, very interesting. They might end up going head to head against their arch rival and longtime nemesis, the San Francisco, I'm sorry, the Santa Clara 49ers. And wow, what a game that would be. But the Niners actually, I got to give them a little bit of credit. They're playing some serious football, man, on all levels. And you know, this game, I was able to see what could happen with the Raiders if their team leaders step on up, which they did, if their young talent, you know, remain poised and make the big plays on third down and long, whatever, which they did. Fans were loud when they needed to be. Although there were some green in the stands and stuff like that, I can guarantee you that's going to end once these Raiders keep playing ball like they know they can and start dominating. They're going to get their home field advantage back. And I'm not too worried about that. You know why? Because journalists, they got to make money. They're ways and stuff and twist things around they got to make drama happen in their articles and stuff like that so a lot of it's not meant to be taken seriously or they're not really trying to be rude and mean to the Raider players they're just trying to make their commissions I guess however it will work but you know so they'll they'll say how much the Raiders aren't filling the stadium up with you know Raider fans and stuff and how the opposition comes to Vegas and stuff for me as soon as COVID hit, our team was playing all their games, all their home games in front of a stadium full of no fans with zero people in the seats like two, three years ago. To me, that set the stage where they just knew right then and there they, they have the ball, but they have the ball for their teammates. You know, it was an extremely tough time. If I was playing back in those days, I might have had to sit that year out because... I play for the fans, you know, but the reality team has to move on. And just the COVID years made it very clear that you cannot have fans in your stadium. And Mr. Davis, uh, Mr. Mark Davis said, you know what? We're not even going to half fill it or do a fraction of fans. Fans can't be in there. Then no one's going to be in there. And I thought I was I thought that was high respect and stuff for the city of Vegas. And you know what? It's all back on the players and it's all back on the team to fix that home field advantage. And if they play like they did, like I said, against Packers this past Monday, I don't think that's going to be a problem. So, you know, it was a really good weekend. Um, when I got sent back there, you know, I was do what we do, what's called like the sweet visits and stuff. Raiders take care of you. And then um, there were several players who I play with or I uh, build up strong friendships with a lot of the different events that they have going on and some of the reunions that they have. So a lot of my good friends were there. You know, yeah, Vance Mueller, you know, uh, Bob Rosenstiel, Chris Cooper, just just all kinds of people. You had Jerry Robinson, who's like an older brother to me. 
and who always was watching over me, making sure I'm doing good. You know, I got a chance to see all these guys and everything. So it's a special occasion every time I come back. And so this particular game was no was no different. And you know, you you know, my listeners are probably thinking, oh, this is going to be kind of like a breakdown of back in my Raiders days. And it, in a sense, it is. That's how I'm leading into it. But it's really not. I'm going to tell a story that happened when I was a police officer, and it was one of the more memorable days that I can remember, but not for in a good way. It was a very traumatic scene that I experienced. And but let me lead into how that came about. So after the game, we had a really good time, right? We're watching this incredible game. It came down to the last minute. And then um, my guys, I think Nate Robinson, youngster, went up there and snagged that ball to end zone. And had he had not done that, if it had squeezed past through his arms or his hands or whatever, then the Packers receiver was standing right there with his hands out. And that would have effectively ended the game in favor of the Packers. But it didn't happen that way. This particular game, the refs decided to, to, to stop playing favorites and let our silver and black guys play and not steal the game from them. So there wasn't very many like these ghost calls that I like to call them and all that stuff. So it really came down to man versus man, 11 guys versus 11 guys, and uh, team versus team, coaches versus coaches, and that's how it should be. And it came down to that last second. Uh, it could have gone either way. And it was a fascinating game. Uh, everybody was jumping up and down and just so proud of their team. The Raiders balled out, and I thought that was fantastic. So uh, the game wraps up. There's about 20 former players who all kind of were brought in. Some did what they call autograph signings. Others were there just doing other appearances. Uh, this particular time, I did the sweet visits, and I also did a guest spot on the Silver and Black show. And it's just always all kinds of stuff going on in that amazing stadium of uh, that uh, Mark Davis built. And it's just, uh, it's a great, great time. So obviously the game ends. I'm exhausted because I was stressed out throughout the whole game and it was just like an emotional roller coaster. And so I'm sitting on the bus on my way, on our way back. And so now you can kind of chill a little bit because they prevailed and all that stuff. So now you can kind of relax and stuff and kind of go on about the rest of your night. So I'm on the bus and like I was saying about Jerry Robinson, we're just, we just strike up a conversation, you know? I mean, him and I are always catching up on things and stuff like that. We can talk about anything all day. Every time we see each other, it's like we just saw each other. Uh, even though a year has gone by, it's just like we just saw each other the other day. It's just that type of friendship. So we're just both chilling on the bus. He's always asking me how I'm doing, you know, post-police officer. And then while I was a police officer, he was part of the alumni group. And then um, uh, when we do sweet visits, when the team was in Oakland, Jerry was always there. And we'd have like end of the year type uh, meetings and stuff so we can go over what people thought worked well and what we needed to work on. Morris Bradshaw, who was running the show back then, he was, he was very in tuned on how to make the sweeps visits a very memorable occasion that was fun for everybody the the alumni and then the fans and then the uh the escorts and stuff who were taking these guys uh from sweep to sweep to um you know to where their fans would be so it, it was a well-rounded idea that was bent to connect more with the fans and it worked out well so jerry and i would always from the very beginning we would always touch base with each other one time I was actually working in the city of San Leandro as, as, you know, I was working as a police officer 
and I didn't want to miss this meeting that they had set up. So I asked for the ability to go and have be part of this meeting. I was in uniform, and when I walked in, it was very strange, I think, for everybody, because they had never seen me in that capacity before. Uh, some people were just kind of like, wait a minute, who is this guy? And they had that look. I'm just, no, 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 it's me. It's Kenny. Guys, it's me. You know, I didn't want anybody looking at me different. And that was actually back in the days when there was some some kind of questionable uh, arrests that were going on out there. And there was some famous protests going on here and there. And I, you know, I mean, so for a minute there, they were looking at me like, oh, sh who is this dude? You know, but I was I'm one of the friendlies, man. I'm here. Let's figure out how to make our sweet visits even better next year. You know, it was great. So once they kind of the, the shock of seeing me in my police uniform kind of went away I sat all in and everything and then we kind of did what we normally do and just kind of like uh, threw out notes and threw out uh, different feedback and stuff and everything so uh, Jerry Robinson always like like hey man is it how's it out in the streets man you know you doing okay you need me to jump in the car with you man you need some backup and he's I'm looking at him because I, I know he's joking but then he doesn't smile and I'm just like man this dude's serious if I need him to jump in the car with me right now because there's some ruckus going on on the other side of the city, JR was jumping in the car and going with me. He was just that type of hardcore dude and that type of good, good friend. And and, and the reality of it was he was really concerned on my safety. You know, like, hey, he didn't want anything bad to happen to me. So every time he sees me, he's always bringing up, hey, how was it? You know, I mean, are you still being safe? I mean, um, uh, hopefully your pension came out well. I mean, he's just, like I said, like an older brother. So this particular time we're on the bus, right? And so he asked me, I don't know why he started that uh, like this, but he asked me, so Kenny, how many guns you have? I think maybe he's like expecting this big old revolution, I think, to go down in this world, man. You keep looking around, there's, you know, the Ukrainian war. Unfortunately, there's the war with Israel now. And just every time you turn around, there's just there's shootings going on and whatever campus and whatever uh, city and neighborhood, these mass shootings and uh, all these different things going on, you know, and so he's kind of like, you know, I guess checking on me, making sure that if anything goes down, that I'm prepared. And, you know, and I let him know, and I'm not, I don't, I don't sugarcoat anything like that. I let him know that, hey, things didn't end very well between me and my uh, police department. So two of my guns got taken from me. And he's like, whoa, really? And I'm just like, well, yeah. So, uh, hopefully, uh, I don't have anybody come and try to come into my house, but I, I have rights just like anybody else to protect my family, protect myself, protect my property, all that stuff. So, you know, um, it's one of our rights and yeah, I'll, I will be prepared if that day ever happened. But as we were talking, he's like, hey, has anybody ever shot at you? It's just a normal chill conversation I'm having with one of my close friends. I'm just like, no, uh, but I did shoot somebody. And, and then all of a sudden, there's that look of kind of hesitancy, like, is he, is Kenny serious here or not? And then they ask, uh, is he, did he, is he okay? And I'm like, well, it wasn't the guy, it was a girl. And so where I'm getting at it right now, guys, is that for the longest of times, I had the hardest time talking about this story. This story happened, man, oh, 10 plus years ago, maybe even longer now, maybe 12, 13 years ago, a, a while ago, but it's something that just stays with me still to this day. I think about it every day pretty much because it was such a life-changing experience for not just me, but one of my partners got seriously injured 
And that turned out to be the last day that he would ever work as a San Leandro police officer as a patrol officer out there in the streets. That was the last day. And, you know, uh, when I go back over that whole thing, I, I, I relive it almost like play by play. And I always think about how I or what I could have done differently to change what ended up happening on that call. For the longest of times, I felt guilty and I, I had a hard time even looking at the police officer, uh, who was a close, close friend of mine, he ended up not passing away or anything like that, but he got seriously injured, like I said, and he never returned to, to uh, uh, regular duty out there in the streets. And, you know, I felt like part of it was my fault. Like, what could I have done differently? And again, I felt so comfortable talking to Jerry about this, maybe a lot of years have gone by and I've been, I've come to terms with everything, but so, but, and I didn't go into full detail. I just told him that, uh, I had a, we had a situation where a girl tried to, or a girl ran over my partner. He treats, she tried to kill him. And so, uh, we responded with deadly force and she didn't die, but she got injured and eventually she got taken into custody for what she did to my partner. And, you know, so when I told him that, I was able to kind of clearly kind of come out and say, hey, here's what happened. Kind of like a, a strong-minded, uh, poised police officer would answer any question, something like that, short and sweet. Here's what happened. Here's what I had to do. And this is how the situation got resolved. But it's taken 15 plus years to get to that point because when it actually happened, I was a mess. When it did happen that day, for three, four straight days, I could not get up off the couch downstairs. I didn't eat, I didn't talk to anybody, I didn't move, I was depressed, I was in a, in a very, very dark place, and it took a long time for me to be able to come to terms with that day. Mainly because it just, Everything just happened so fast. Everything just happened so fast. I, there was like no explanation why it went down the way it did. Uh, I, you know, I've been a police officer for quite some time at that point. And I had, I had thought I'd seen pretty much everything, but I don't think anything could have prepared me for how that call went down. And just so basically, here's what happened. And I, you know, you, everybody knows me. I try to keep things light. And when I when I first when I knew I was going to talk about this story on, on my episode today, episode 28, I knew I was going to talk about this. And then for for a minute, I was just like, should I come on in and say it was a cold, misty morning with all the the lively sounds that would make you think something's about to go down? It was a different atmosphere than normal. And then, and then I remember, wait a minute, I'm a police officer in San Leandro. This is completely normal. And then I went on to the call. I was going to start out like that, but then I'm just like, nah, I can't do that. I have to be serious on this and, and kind of like, uh, uh, because maybe, because I'm hopeful that some younger officers or, you know, newer officers, uh, listen to my podcast uh, I always promote the fact of just there's stuff in my podcast that I think could be used uh, experience wise to some of the police officers who are going to be taking on this incredible career, but highly dangerous career at the same time. But they, they can listen to some of the different stories that I'm going to put out there and actually learn from them. And this is definitely one of those. So uh, one morning, um, I'm working the weekday day shift and that used to be a shift where people went to get some sleep. You know, it was just nothing going on in the morning. 
people were going to work, people were sleeping, people, kids were going to school, um, and just never, nothing really ever started happening until maybe like the afternoon when people started getting off work or whatever, and businesses started kind of getting uh, filled with customers, and some customers would be unhappy for this and that, and or people walking about, and then they get in arguments and stuff. So, but that's later on in the afternoon on this shift for a long time. It was like that, but then the years prior to that, it started changing. All of a sudden, it was re the reverse. <laughs> At night or whatever, things got a little bit chill, but in the morning, in the days, early days of this shift, it was getting nutso. And, uh, but this particular day, I was hoping it was gonna be different. So we're in lineup, we had a couple guest guys, I guess when you say guest guys, that's ones who, they're either working for somebody, that someone requested a day off, and then um, a couple new guys would come in, take their place, we'd have like a, what they call like the shift layover, uh, where they have a makeup day from a from another shift that they had to work get their hours for the week So it was just a mixture of everybody that day. I just remember that but it was a nice chill uh, lineup Everybody kept it loose and stuff um, You know, that's how it was one of the best parts of being a police officer is that you get your boyish fun time I guess with your with your uh, teammates and stuff and you know, obviously there's girls uh, who are part of your shift and all that stuff, too so you know, you, you, you hang out and you kind of chill and kind of throw jokes at each other and have and keep things light and stuff. So like you're, it's your sister and you're play, messing around with each other. It's a family atmosphere when you're in the building. And then um, the, every chance you get, you try to keep it like that because the, when things go crazy out there in the streets, I can't even paint the picture for you guys. You literally would have to do a ride along and see for yourself how bizarre a world it could turn out there for you. So, but that particular moment, you know, everybody was just chilling and having fun. So uh, we break lineup, I go and I get in my car, I get my car ready and all that stuff. And I'm thinking, all right, so it's nice and chill. I'm gonna try to go get some coffee, <laughs> you know, because that's like your first thing you do. You get your coffee and you just kind of like maybe find a place to chill and stuff and just kind of wait for things to get crazy. As soon as I got in the car, a call comes out in regards to two suspicious individuals. They're in a car, uh, the vehicle is described as a black vehicle and it's parked in a part of a neighborhood in San Leandro that's it's it's close to the border but this part of the area is it's I had to be honest with you it's just kind of older white uh, neighborhood um, and so these kids were described as two young you know black juveniles uh, one male one female and they're hanging out by a car and it's just kind of like you know you get these kind of these prudish San Leandro citizens who's not used to that and stuff. They wake up in the morning, they want to get out and go get their paper. Who's out, that's out in the middle of the in the sidewalk and they get their mail. Not their mail, but they go get the paper and then they just kind of want to walk out and stroll and get some fresh air with their cup of coffee and whatever. And they just just want to maybe smoke a cig and stuff like that. And they're just kind of like want to enjoy the day before they have to either go to work or whatever. It's it's just part of life, really. So maybe that's what I kind of took it as, is that there's this car parked in front of their in one of their houses, and they're not familiar to the area, and they wanted us, to, the police, to come check it out. So I'm thinking there's not much else to the call other than that. 
So I'm thinking, okay, all right, before everybody starts kind of, you know, uh, getting into it, it's on my beat. So let me just head down that way and I'll just swing on by and say, all right, kids, get on out of here, you know, and just kind of wave them along. That's what the plan was. Honestly, there was there was really the hope that it was going to be something as simple as that. So as I'm getting everything ready and I start out the what we call the pit where you park your cars and then you kind of head up the little hill, then the door, the little gate opens and you, you know, it's it's like RoboCop, man. You know, I mean, you're you're here in this safe, like weird facility, you know, with all these people who are supposed to be like robots and stuff like that. No feelings, no emotions, no anything like that, you know, I mean, but they really do have emotions and feelings and all that stuff. But then as soon as you head on in that gate, you got to turn all that off. So that's what it feels like. You know, I just remember the gate opening up and I'm just like, all right, heading out into the real world. But I want to keep it chill. As I'm kind of starting that way, one of the, or whoever called, updates it, say, oh, okay, the black male just got done urinating outside of the car. And I'm like, oh, man, come on, guys. You know, me being a black male, I'm always so mad when that comes out. Anyway, a suspicious person, um, there's nothing really suspicious about hanging out in the neighborhood, right? So part of me is kind of like a little bit kind of pissed that we would get a call like that from, from somebody anyway because they have just as much of a right to be out there as anyone else. But, you know, and then, but the fact that they were black, I was part of like, you know, you, you get caught in the middle. Like, you know, uh, I can understand the neighbor's point of view, but then I can understand once we get there, these kids are gonna be like, hey, I didn't do anything. Why are you guys even here? Who called, you know? And then you can understand their side of the point too. So, you know, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, oh man, uh, hopefully they'll be cool. And they'll just kind of like head on off and then we can kind of move on about their day. Uh, then, But when they give the updated information about urinating outside in front of, you know, in the middle of the public, now I'm a little bit more, a little bit upset and irritated because I'm like, because now that's just not a good visual, you know? It just doesn't do anything for the black race. It just it just uh, heightens the stereotype and everything. And I'm, now, I'm, now I'm not too happy. So I'm going to, I'm saying to myself, okay, I'm going to spend a little bit more time talking to this little knucklehead kid for urinating in the middle of the freaking neighborhood in broad daylight. So, um, but still no big deal. I've had calls like that plenty of times and, you know, more times than not, they'll honestly listen to you as long as you're talking to them with respect and all that stuff. And they, you know, you're kind of like their parent or guardian, I guess. So you're trying to teach them life lessons. So that's what I was going to be doing. I'm putting that on my list. Okay. Drive by, you know, kind of give them the little, hey, the stern look and like, you know, make it be known that, hey, look, man, you can't act like that. Just have a little bit more pride in yourself and your and everything, carry yourself a lot better than that. And maybe even if they were like super, super young, I might even get their the parents' phone number and call the parents and say, hey, look, man, you know your son's out here peeing all over some sidewalk. And then hopefully the parent comes and then, you know, there's many different routes you can go. So I'm putting my cards together, how I'm going to play it. And it all kind of depends on how receptive they are. And then that's the route we're going to go. So, but anyway, now I'm getting a little bit closer to where they're at. And, you know, my cover unit is starting heading that way too. And I'm sure he's going down the same progression in his mind, how this whole call is going to play out. And, but it's early morning. We're thinking, all right, let's shoo him away and then move on. Um, so as I get close 
to the street. I could I I remember making my turn down the road. I let dispatch know this is 21, whatever my call sign was. Uh, I'm in the area, and so. That was my updated traffic. And I'm head I remember heading down the road towards them. As I get a little bit closer, I kind of creep up a little bit from a from a distance. I'm able to see the license plate. And so I run the license plate to with dispatch. I give them the plates and whatever it is, six Ida Union, six four, whatever, and I just made that up. So but I give dispatch the number, uh, the license plate number, and then as I kind of creep up a little bit further. So as I'm doing that, now I see what I see is the there's a black female in the driver's seat and then the black male is like kind of the doors open and then he's kind of like uh, hunched over and kind of talking to the, the female and um, he keeps looking at oh, down at me and then he, he'll turn back to her, then he'll say something. I couldn't hear him at that point, obviously, but you, I knew that he was talking to him, but he had that look like like he was up to something. And I'm saying to myself, oh, yeah, this is going to be a little knucklehead. I can tell already. So as I'm getting closer, he's getting a little bit more animated. So I'm just like, OK, I already read the plate. I'm getting just a little bit closer. And then now all of a sudden he closes the door and he starts walking away. So I pull up and I'm like, hey, 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 man, how are you doing? Let me talk to you. And he's like, what? I didn't do nothing. I'm like, OK, man, it's all right. But just. Let me talk to you for a minute. And then he ignores me and he tries to kind of walk off a little bit faster. So now I'm in, you know, uh, uh, police mode and all that stuff. And I know uh, other units are coming. Um, so I'm just I feel all right. I got to stop this guy and everything because I really don't know anything about him. And I can't just let him walk away now. Uh, he's the suspect of at least a, a, a city ordinance violation of urinating in public and all that stuff. So uh, I can't just let him walk off and stuff. So as I uh, I parked the car and now he's about 30, 30 yards or so away from the car, which is parked facing me, you know, as I'm my car is facing it as it's as I'm pulling into the road. But now I'm focused on this guy who's kind of trying to walk away from me. So that's kind of like I got to deal with them. So. I get out. I try talking to him nice and cool. Like, hey, man, look, we were just called here just to, just because you guys are unfamiliar to the area. Uh, can you tell me what you're doing here? And then he kind of like started to blow me off. Like, forget it, man. I'm going to go home. And I'm just like, OK, OK, just hold on. And he would not stop. So now I'm just like uh, I see her still sitting in the car and the car is not moving. He's walking away from the car. And now I had to kind of act. So I go up to him and I said, hey, look. Just hold on one second for me. Let me know. Who you, just hold tight for me. I can't just let you walk off right quick. And then and then he's like, I don't have to stay here. I'm like, well, yes, you do. And so then he tries to walk off. And then now I grab his hands. And now this he's a young kid, kind of small and skinny. So I'm not necessarily worried about um, him, you know, hurting me because I have full control of his arms and everything. And I'm so I and I'm I have a good grip on him. So I'm not quite worried about him. So if he starts to fight, all I know is I kind of, um, you know, do what I have to do to get him on the ground. But my big concern was I didn't want to get into any type of fight, you know, focus all my attention on him, knowing that she was still in the car down there. So it was a tough spot. I'm trying to hold him, keep him from walking away. He's definitely trying to distract me and, and keep, get me away from the car and uh, either to protect her or whatever. 
So now I'm kind of in a tough spot. So I had to try to use my voice and I didn't want to raise things up, but I could have easily picked him up and body slammed him if I needed to, got control over him. But like I said, he's a, he's a young kid anyway. So I wasn't trying to do all that stuff. I was trying to gain control over him and kind of talk the whole thing down to, uh, you know, uh, resolve the situation. You know, I mean, uh, de-escalation, I guess, is the, is the word that they use nowadays. But this kid's getting a little bit more animated. So now he's turning and yelling at this girl in the car, whatever her name is. Go, go, drive off, go, go. She's yelling at him to, he's yelling at her to drive off. And I'm, and I'm just like, no, stop yelling, focus on me. And she, she's like yelling at him. He's like, no, forget him, go, go. And he's yelling at this girl to drive off. I'm like, no, wait right down there. And, and she's like, I can see her like getting all animated herself, like, what to do does she does she drive off does she you know leave him whatever does she jump out and then now she tries to help him or whatever and i can see oh this is getting a little bit scary but now i have my hands on both of his his arms so my hands are unable to kind of update everything and so as i'm kind of struggling a little bit back and forth with with the guy then the then the traffic comes on the radio now after running the plate dispatch is letting me know that the plate that the vehicle is coming back stolen. So now you hear alert tone saying uh, stolen vehicle uh, and everybody knows now it's a stolen vehicle that's associated to the call I'm on. So I just know people are coming, you know, the only thing is, is that he's starting to get a little bit more uh, uh, aggressive and he's trying to pull away. So then I had to really kind of wrap a hold of him. And the whole time we're, we're kind of, we're not fist fighting, but we're just struggling. He's trying to get away. Then I'm trying to, you know, gain control over him and all that stuff. But I don't want to pounce him down on the ground because then I'm going to lose sight of the of the girl in the car. So I'm like really doing everything I can to keep him upright as I'm waiting for my covers to come because I know that this is this is he's going to be really ready to fight. And then I then we're going to have to deal with the car. The problem that I have with myself is that and I've. Ever since then, I was I was training myself to try to figure out how to uh, click the microphone on my that's uh, attached to my shoulder, click the microphone um, key with my jaw or something like that, and then once I keyed the mic, then I can talk. Uh, because if I was able to know how to do that, I should have done that. Because to let people know that the threat was in the car, not necessarily me, but the girl in the car. Because if I was able to do that, my partner, when he first arrived, he, he might have been uh, warned to know, hey, go to the car first and then the, sec the, third, the third and fourth unit would come to me and then, we can, and then the others could go to the car to back him up. But there was two threats going on and the main threat was the vehicle that was still running with the driver, the girl still in the driver's seat. So that was the main threat. Uh, at that moment. And I could not relay that information to anybody. I couldn't put it on the radio because I'm fighting with this dude. So all I remember is my partner, uh, Mr. Tom Roseland, uh, you know, I'm going to just leave it at there. But Tom comes down the road uh, towards me and he's hauling because he knows now that I'm not answering my radio. They're trying to they're trying to raise me, but I'm fighting with this dude. So I can't respond. So they know I'm in trouble. And he's in uh, full mock mode trying to get there to help me out. He gets down there and I can see him lock eyes with me. And so he gets out. He pulls his vehicle up as close as he could to me and he runs towards me. And I, I was trying to tell him, no, 
no, look at the girl. And just as he ran up to me and we both, and he tried to grab the other arm of this guy, she puts the car in drive and she peels off straight at us at like an incredibly fast speed. And she was on us like that, guys. I'm a little bit closer to her than he was. And, and I knew where she was. Tom didn't. So once I saw the car coming towards us, I immediately flipped over towards the left to jump out of the way. Tom did not exactly know what was going on and the car missed me, and but it, it swerved and it hit him. Ran straight into him. Now, Tom Roseland is a tall guy. Anyway, he's like six, three, six, four, tall guy. And thankfully, because of his height is what saved his life. And he was also able to jump up a little bit uh, slightly so that the front of that car did not smash into his, his stomach and gut area. As it was, it slammed into his legs. And that's what took the most of the blunt of this impact she just went smash right into him you know and it was the worst everything i've ever heard from my partner screaming out in pain uh we we both fired our weapons at her and it happened that fast we tried to stop her uh, and then when we didn't when failed to stop her we had to, i had to we had to jump out of the way he couldn't get out the way and it was just like that it's just like within seconds all that happened. It just turned like that. And the next thing I know, as I'm uh, on the ground trying to recover from jumping over, I'm not of the way I look and I see it, in, in my eyes at that time, I literally thought he was dead. Just the way of, of how that car hit him, it was square on. And the, the sound of his voice when it hit him and just the damage that it caused to his lower body was just something that just, I, you know, to this day, I have a hard time seeing. By no means would I ever think that, you know, the, the trauma of seeing my partner like that outweighs what he went through. And I can never take that back. Um, you know, I mean, it, it was just something that should never, ever, ever happen to anybody especially a police officer out there trying to do their job. And just seeing him, I literally thought he was dead. Um, and all I remember at that point was she stops because she ran into my partner and smashed him up into another car. And then she backs up or however she did it. And then she takes off down the road. And all I can remember was just looking at this car as it drove off and just being completely helpless. I'm looking at my partner who's on the ground uh, in, in just severe condition, severely injured, and the car and the suspect of the girl who just got them hitting him is getting away. At that point, I, I, it, it just, I didn't know exactly what to do, you know. There's so many things I wanted to do. Check on my partner, make sure he's okay, jump in my car, go after the suspect, get this girl, and just just take her down. All that within seconds of each other. And then I also had the sus the, uh, the male suspect still on the ground. Luckily, I was able to still hold, get a hold of him and handcuff him. Another partner came and arrived shortly after that. And then once everybody else started arriving, we were able to gain control over everything. Uh, he was able to help put him, male suspect, in the car. 
I was able to help put updated information on the radio where this vehicle just got done turning to, which way it's going now. The other uh, cover officers and other officers started arriving on scene. They were able to get to my partner and put tourniquets on them. Uh, I, you know, and then we were able to, uh, there's so many different things that we're able to, we were able to do once other units got on scene. And then once things started calming down, they were able to start concentrating on me because I was a mess. And as I was, all this was going on, the worst, one of the worst parts of that whole ordeal was the son of a bitch, dude, I could, if I saw him again, I'd be able to point him out. But there was this dude long-haired punk sucker who was lived in this house like five houses down from all this where all this went down this sob had the gall to start yelling out at us as my partner's lying on the ground in severe conditioning and uh, immense pain with his leg wrapped on the other side on a way that it wasn't supposed to be and the other leg and just in bad shape as well. And I'm getting raised up because I, I, that's how emotional it was. And this punk had the nerve to start yelling out at my partner that he got what he deserved. And he's like, the cop should have, I hope he dies. And I owe all these different things. Good for the person who ran him over. And you know, all cops should go out like that. Fuck the cops and all that stuff. From the inside of his house. And I almost lost it. I had to get grabbed from behind because I was going after this dude and I had to get pulled and, and restrained because I was about, to, if I got a hold of that dude, I can't even tell you what would have happened. I can't even tell you what would happen, guys. I'm not lying. It was something that, it was an unreal scene and it just showed you the type of society that this place is turning into where you got a 16-year-old juvenile running over a police officer trying to kill him. And then at the same time, people in the neighborhood are yelling out and cheering about the fact that that's what just happened, that they hope the cop dies. I, I've never, ever even come close to even imagining something like that ever happening, ever. I've never even seen anything like that happen in a film. I don't, I don't even think directors of a film or writers in, of a film would ever put that type of material in their film because it just doesn't seem right. The brain, the human brain just can't accept that being okay. And this dude was yelling out like that, like it was the most normal thing in the world. And he is lucky he stayed inside of his house and those guys held a good grip on me because it was on. Um, so, so what ended up happening was I was a mess. I'm not going to lie. I was a mess. Uh, one of the officers who came in and, and um, anytime you fire your weapon anyway, uh, as soon as the, the scene gets secured and calmed down and all that stuff, they, as soon as they can, they usually take that officer who was involved in the shooting off the streets and they, um, you know, get them to the station and then they put another officer with them to make sure that they're okay because th now it's, it turns into a different thing. Now it's there's an investigation and all that stuff and you got to go through that. So they remove you as soon as they can from the scene and that's exactly what happened. So I went from seeing the, the demons of society and just the horribleness of, of some of the citizens out there to be, being proud of the way that my coworkers and my fellow San Leandro police officers responded to that scene, not only to help my partner and make sure that he was okay and make sure to move the cars out of the way so that the ambulance could get in there to him and, and take take care of him and rush him to the hospital. Not only did they have the, the awareness to clear that path, but they also had a, the awareness to lock down the scene and make sure all the, the evidence 
that might be needed, like uh, security cameras and all that stuff. They had the wherewithal to make sure any evidence was reserved from, you know, shell casings. They had the wherewithal to make sure that the anybody else in the neighborhood wasn't injured from the rounds that were fired and all that stuff. So, and it was just like that, almost like they've, they've trained for this on a daily basis for years. And it was amazing. Then when it was time and everything had kind of settled down a little bit, at the same time, you had detectives already trying to get as much information as they can. You could hear it on the radio. Then they were able to find out where this girl lived. So right away, they were out there trying to find a suspect. At the same time, I'm being driven to the, to the station, you know, with a partner who was assigned to watch over me and, you know, get me to a safe place at the station just sit there don't talk don't nothing just just watch over him make sure he's okay and all that happened just like that I've never been more proud of the San Leandro Police Department or being a uh, proud of being a police officer in general than that moment right there even though I knew that my partner was in horrible shape and I really didn't know if he was going to live or die due to his injuries and stuff it was the worst moment of my you know obviously me losing my academy mate uh, who got shot to death that night was as bad as it comes. Uh, this one was just as bad. It was a horrible, horrible experience. And, you know, it was just one of those things where police officers' jobs are so dangerous and everything could change within a snap of a finger. Um, in the end, my partner's leg was, legs actually were severely damaged. It would take years and years and years for him to recover. And I won't speak about it anymore other than that. Uh, my partner, uh, Tommy Roseland, uh, if he ever felt the desire to come on my podcast and tell his side of the story, that would be more than welcomed. Uh, but I'll just leave it at that. All I know is just I saw my my partner almost get killed. He got ran over and almost died. And it was the worst sight I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, But in the end, the suspect got arrested. She got convicted. And she suffered a really, really good penalty for what she did. And it's something that she's going to have to live with for the rest of her life. And what she did was something that she felt she had to do because of her knuckleheaded boyfriend. Tommy has has since moved on with his life, and I applaud him for that. And um, he went through a lot. So, you know, everything that happened with me is beans compared to what that man had to go through in life. It was a completely life-altering situation. You know, to this day, I always think to myself, like, what could have happened if I was able to get information out to him to let him know, don't worry about me right now, go to the car. We needed to get that girl out of that car ASAP by all means necessary because what she ended up doing was something that I didn't think that she was capable of doing, but she did it in a heartbeat. And that just shows you this, how uh, society has turned, especially with their ill feelings toward the police officers. And, you know, it's unbelievable. So, man, it was just one of those things where it's, it's a lesson that I feel like, uh, you know, the more I'm able to talk about it and then kind of you know, others are able to listen to their my podcast and stuff like that and learn from, you know, I have all abilities now to sit and talk to anybody who would want to sit and listen and talk about it. I mean, it's I can't sugarcoat it. It happened. And um, but it's one of those things where hopefully the her parents have learned and uh, us as a as parents in society in general have got to start understanding that we are fumbling the ball in terms of making sure our youth are held accountable for how they are growing up and the things that they're doing you know i mean it's not just a police thing you know i mean um I, the things you hear on a daily basis of 
of people getting injured, innocent citizens and stuff. You see videos all the time of like people going about their days, you know, just trying to either go to work or whatever. They get their headphones on and they're just kind of like eating their food, trying to get a quick meal in before they got to go and whatever. And they just get ambushed from behind and, and knocked silly and robbed, you know? I mean, it's just unbelievable the amount of uh, hate going on out there. A lot of it, honestly, can be attributed to the courts and the, the leniency that they're giving to these freaking suspects who think that they can do anything they, they want to. And, and a lot of it is for good reason. They turn around, they can do the most heinous crime, and guess what? They're back out there on the streets just like that. Like this dude who killed this lady who's this uh, entrepreneur lady where who all she did was she was going down to the, the lobby maybe to get her mail or whatever, and she saw this dude standing out Outside, trying to get in and it was obviously the one of the worst mis the worst mistake of her life because she ended up getting killed this dude beat the crap out of her I'm sure she was you know sexually assaulted and then and he left her dead body uh, on the top of floor or this apartment complex where she lived and all she was doing was just trying to do something nice unacceptable unacceptable for our society to turn like that I would do everything I can to put it into that. I, obviously, there's, you know, I've got to turn into a judge or, or something. I, you know, it might be too late for me to learn how to become a judge, but if I can send a message out to the judges out there or the lawmakers and all that stuff, we're failing. We are failing society, everybody. The people who are out there doing everything they can to destroy uh, civilization need to be held accountable. And we need more people who aren't just police officers, aren't just military people out there. We need more people to look themselves in the mirror and start saying, I'm gonna start doing what I need to do to make sure my kids and the friends around my kids are being held accountable because that's the only way this world is gonna turn into a much better place. You know, we need more Jerry Robinsons. You know, Jerry Robinson is, is an awesome Raider ambassador. Just does it all. Uh, he makes sure that uh, his teammates have what they need. He was calling me prior to this trip where they flew me out for the game, checking on, making sure I was uh, up to date on my NFL PA benefits and stuff like that, you know, dental insurance, medical insurance, and all that stuff. A lot of things are being made better for former players and stuff like that. And um, he's always leaving texts and messages just to make sure, hey man, take advantage of this, go out there, make sure you take care of your family, they have what you need, you have what you need. It's so important. And it was, uh, even though I was reminded of uh, horrible, horrible days I can remember as, uh, as a human being, at the same time, I was reminded that there are also good people out there and a lot of other people that I saw, I got a chance to see that weekend at the game, you know, come back home, see my family. It means a lot. And what I'm going to do is I'm gonna look myself in the mirror. All right, K-Shed, what is it that you can do to make things better? And I've already figured out some things that I'm going to do. I'm going to call some people up and make some apologies. I'm going to say, hey, man, if you took this the wrong way, I'm sorry about that. With, uh, you know, with me and some of the things I might bring up, you know, as far as like partnerships with the, the things I'd like to do in the film business and stuff like that. You know, in this particular case, I wasn't listening. And for me, take the time, take a moment out there, guys, to stop and stop all the talking. Start listening. The people around you have some stuff going on that we take a moment to kind of hear them out. We might be able to help each other out to live a better life. And um, I'm going to make that my goal. I hope the listeners do the same thing. For right now, K-Shit out.